G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Singing in Church. Is this your experience? What is the value of singing in church? Why does it matter? Why should we care? Mike Rater is joining us this morning and over this coming hour talking uh, through the issue of singing in church, uh, bringing back a biblical perspective uh, Uh, injecting new singing life in the way we might sing together in church. Uh, Two images come to mind when I think about this topic. Uh, The whole whole idea of, uh, you know, sometimes the energetic hymn-singing congregation, the sound of an organ, uh, some grey-haired older believers warbling to an old hymn, and inevitably somebody near you singing out a tune. Well, maybe that's an image you have in your mind about singing. The other image of church, of course, looks a little bit more like a nightclub with lights and loud music, a bunch of young people, hands raised, lost in another world of praise and worship. Well, what's your experience of singing in church? What does it mean to you? Is it an optional extra? Uh, What's the spiritual dimension that comes from singing alongside other believers in church? Let me invite you to be part of our conversation today on 1-800-316-316. Michael Rater is joining us. He's director of the Centre for Biblical Preaching. And it's not the first time we've had Michael on 2020. But Michael, welcome along. Good to have you back. Hello. Michael, I guess when you are uh, someone who's doing some research on singing in church, and we'll talk about a book that you're writing, one that's likely to be out next year, uh, no specific title on that yet, but all about congregational singing, I imagine this has been for you uh, something of a passion, uh, and maybe there's been a few bumps along the way. What are your thoughts about congregational singing? Oh, I have lots of thoughts about it, uh, Neil. That's why I've co-authored a book. Look, I should be up front. I'm not. I'm not a singer, Neil. I'm not a. <clears throat> I've never been in a church music team, and neither would any church music team want me on their team. I'm not gifted <laughs> musically. I'm not even a great listener to music. Frankly, I'm more a reader than a listener. But I, I just, I, I believe strongly in the importance of congregational singing. I found myself over the last ten years speaking, giving talks at various music conferences, which have forced me to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about the place and importance of singing in church. So, yes, I am quite passionate about the topic. Well, Neil, I think a lot of people are passionate about the topic. Singing is the kind of topic which gets people's passions running. Well, Michael, when we talk about singing, for some Christian believers, that's what they think worship is. Uh, But worship, of course, is a much broader concept when you start to examine really what the worshipping life is all about. Uh, But how do you think of singing in the context of what we do as worshipping Christian believers? Yes, that's why we're discussing this morning congregational singing and we've not I've not picked the topic congregational worship. I just I, I, I don't I just don't use that term. Now, of course, singing is an act of worship. Of course it is. But as you say, uh. Romans 12 will tell us all of our life is an act of worship. So I, I think it's unhelpful to, to describe what we do on a Sunday morning or that part of our service as being, let's now have a time of worship. 
Well, when the preacher preaches, you're having a time of worship. It's, it's, as, as John Piper says, it's, it's worshipful preaching. You've got worshipful prayer, worshipful morning tea. I mean, all we do is an act of worship. But we don't reduce that term worship to one particular activity, which is singing. And not just that, one particular kind of Christian song. We now sing a worship song. I was at a conference a music ago. We sang a wonderful old hymn. And the foolish leader said, well, now let's now sing a worship song. Oh, poor old Charles Wesley, what did he, what did he think he was writing? Um, but yeah, so we have reduced it to a particular kind of song. So I think the right word to describe what we're doing uh, in church is congregational singing <clears throat> led by song leaders. Okay, and some song leaders do a better job than others. Uh, how do we actually uh, assess uh, what makes a good uh, congregational song leader? Uh, I mean, is this the sort of thing that we that we ought to be talking about? I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, there's a difference between that person who has, I guess, what you'd call a little bit of charisma about them, the, the fact that they can sing in tune, uh, and, and the person who has the heart and the character that, that might lead the congregation. What is it that, that you think makes a, a good song leader? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I, I want to begin by saying I think they're very important. They're very important. Uh, people will often forget the sermons. They won't forget the songs. <clears throat> and they'll stay with them for a long, long time. And uh, whether the words are good or bad, they'll stay with them for a long, long time. I think you, if you ask a song leader, what are you doing? What's your role? I'm not sure they could tell you. I think they say, oh, I'm leading the people in worship. Well, we just seen that's perhaps not the clearest and most helpful definition. Well, what's the purpose of singing? I think they say, oh, well, it's to praise the Lord. Well, I want to say from the Bible, well, actually, dear friend, it's much more than that. Uh, I think in essence, Neil, singing has two dimensions. It is, of course, vertical. We sing, we sing to God. We sing to God. We glorify God. We praise God. And that's very, very important. So our eyes and minds are fixed upward. But Paul says um, in Colossians and Ephesians, teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's a very important horizontal dimension to singing <clears throat> in church. We are, we are teaching each other. So there's both the vertical and the horizontal, both uh, Godward and towards each other. And uh, so uh, I describe the song leaders and the co- as the congregations of the preachers. I do think in a church service on a given Sunday or Saturday, you hear two sermons. Two pieces of teaching, one from the pulpit by the preacher and one from the music stand by the music team. Both are teaching. Uh, and I think it's very important that song leaders understand what they're doing and why they're doing and, like the preacher, preach the truth and preach it well, with the added dimension of the, the vertical. Well, it's interesting to talk about the vertical and the horizontal, and uh, listeners might like to contribute to that conversation as well. Uh, let me ask you, Michael, with regards to uh, what we do in church by way of singing and the musical productions, because ultimately uh, everyone could be doing their own thing and doing what's right in their own eyes, but uh, unless we are actually aware of a biblical foundation for singing, then we may off, be off uh, on a tangent somewhere. But uh, what do you glean from the Scriptures, uh, from Old Testament and New Testament, when it comes to uh, the ideas of a foundation for what we do in singing in church? church. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the Old Testament, which contains, of course, many terrific songs, which I think give us a model for the diversity of our singing. You just take the Psalms, for example. There are Psalms of Thanksgiving, 
and praise and lament. It's, it's striking, I think, how few contemporary songs of lament there are, uh, where I think someone said about maybe a third of the Psalms is lament. So, so we have there in the Psalms the variety of our singing. It's also striking when you read, I, I came across 1 Chronicles 25 the other day, or a while ago, and it described the song leaders at the temple involved in, in the ministry of prophesying with lyres and harps and cymbals. Here are the song leaders who are described by the writer as prophets. And prophets, of course, speak forth the word of God to God's people. So in the Old Testament, they understood their role as being both leading God's people in glorifying God and bringing to God's people the word of God, the prophetic word of God. I think that stands behind what Paul, Paul's thinking about singing. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul gives the church instructions of what to do to build up the church at a, at a church gathering, he says four things. He says you have a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue interpretation. There are four word-based activities to build up the church, and the first on the list is the hymn. He doesn't say have a word of instruction, oh, don't forget to sing a hymn of praise to God. No, the hymn's purpose in part is to build up the church, to teach them. So I, I, I think we need to understand that, and I think our song leaders need to understand that and realize that part of their role is, is teaching and helping the people to to glorify God well. I, I just don't think we've we've really taught them what their purpose is. And I think if you ask the average person in the pew, why do you sing in church? They say, we sing to praise the Lord. And I want to say, that's true, but it's so much more than that. Well, we want to uh, talk about the so much more than that through this hour and inviting listeners to participate in our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You raise some really important points. Not only, Michael, is that instructional uh, about how our history of the developing of a church service looks and what we do today, talking about starting off with a hymn, uh, though you know there are modern hymns and uh, modern songs, and we can talk about the difference between all of those things too, and the quality and the value of those. Uh, but then, before getting into those other elements, so there is a certain sense in which, while we might reflect on our own church experience, we can see, yep, you know what, some of the things we do in church, that's all coming from a scriptural foundation, mm-hmm. a scriptural direction, and uh, so very impressive. The other thing that was very important was. Just because you can hold a tune or play an instrument doesn't necessarily qualify you to be that type of person who's going to be up front and actually uh, prophesying in that sense of uh, bringing the word of the Lord. Uh, so I suppose uh, you want people to start young, but I guess there's a certain maturity that, that comes well, with being right. the song leader. I, I couldn't agree more. I do wonder what, when we select our song leaders, what's, what's in our thinking? What are the criteria? I suspect it is, well, he or she, and often it's a she, has a lovely voice. Let's give her a microphone, and she can make that lo- lovely voice loud across the whole congregation. And that's, that's it. And, uh, and I wonder, is there any real instruction to him or her in what they're doing? And I think you're right, Neil. There needs to be. If, if it's, it is such an important role of teaching. And, and as I said, songs stay in our memory. And you know, 20, 30 years later, you'll, you'll recall the words of a song, and they'll shape how you think. And so the people we, we designate to select our songs for Sunday morning or whenever and lead them must have, I think, a, a, a good degree of spiritual and 
theological maturity to discern you know, good songs and bad songs and understand what they're doing so they can, they can lead the people well. I, 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 look, I think our song leaders are genuine. I think they're sincere. I don't think there are many there who are out just to perform. I think they're genuine. But I, I'm not sure they're clear in their mind what their role is. I think there's probably all sorts of controversy over the quality of the songs that we might sing in church, and I'm sure that people could reflect on some of the old hymns that used to be sung that don't get sung anymore that had uh, a wonderful uh, fullness of theological understanding, and it does, as you say, it shapes the believer when the, when they sing those things, and oftentimes it's, it's what stays in the memory that's very, very powerful. Uh, some people might be critical of some modern uh, songs today. I guess that discernment factor comes in again mm. for who's choosing the songs, as you say. Yeah, I think when I speak on this topic, people wrongly assume I'm saying, let's go back to the hymns. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I mean, I, I love, like you, I think many old hymns. Of course, and there were many bad hymns too. But the nice thing about time is time tends to remove the bad ones and the good ones last. Uh, but there are good and bad old old hymns and good and bad modern ones. Uh, I guess um, the book we've written is really looking at what the Bible says about singing. And we're saying two things in a nutshell. Let's sing good songs and let's sing good songs well. That's, I guess, in, in summary is what, is what we're saying. Um, yeah, there are some terrific modern songs with, which, which are, have great lyrics and point us to, to all that God has done for us and are singable. Um, I think that they're the two, I guess, the, cre- the two key criteria. If you want the congregation to sing things that are worthwhile, they mustn't just have good words. They must be easy to sing. Uh, and part of the role of the song leader is to help us to do that, to help the, uh, the congregation to sing. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. It is going to be a popular conversation today, so we'll, uh, we'll take as many calls as we can. Let's start. Let's hear from Shelby in Sunnybank in Queensland. Hi, Shelby. Welcome along. Uh, yes. Uh, how are you going, Neil? Very well. Thanks, Shelby. What are your thoughts on our topic today? Mate, uh, I can give it from two angles, I think. Um, not only uh, do I love singing my songs um, from Sunday school, <laughs> um, and um, that was when I was seven or eight. I'm 68 now. <laughs> yeah. um, but, and I still do when I ride my motorbike, let alone ride my pushbike. Um, but, you know, I go to Hill Songs and I uh, love the songs there because it's chorusing. They're very short, they're very sweet, but they're, you know, they're just, you know, you seem to sing the same thing, but over and over, but it's so uplifting. But then again, I go to my Lutheran church because of my family plot. And, um, you know, I'm part of uh, keeping it all alive in the sense within the church group. Um, so I go to the St. Paul's Lutheran Church and sing all the old hymns. And it's nothing like what we sing, how we sing so uplifting in the uh, hill songs. But it's still very uplifting when you sing this old hymn. We're all out of tune. Just you've got an organ, not like a band at the hill songs. Just one organ. And <laughs> But it's so uplifting when we're getting... Um, it's a discovery of the song, the words. Um, so I enjoy it all. <laughs> yeah, good thoughts. Uh, your response, Michael Rader? Yeah, I think that um, my view there would be, I think for, for what to sing as we gather, I think blended worship is a good way to go. That is, let's not, let's not dispense with centuries of great hymns. Let's not just throw that away. This, as you say, terrific songs with wonderful lyrics, so easy to sing, which is so uplifting. And more than that, we just, um, they give us a connection with the past. We are, we are an historic faith. We are a global universal faith. 
with believers all over the world and an historic faith going back, well, 2,000 years and, of course, beyond into Old Covenant believers. And we are, in a sense, connected with them. And in singing the old hymns, we recognize that, that our connection with the past. It has a number of benefits. So let's, please, let's not dispense with those. It would be a great loss to the church. But we have to keep writing new songs. We, you know, every day we want a new song, and there are new styles of music. And we have some terrific contemporary songs, and it'd be, I think, foolish to stop singing songs written after 1900. I, thought, yeah, I think we've got some great modern songs. Let's sing them both. Uh, and also, Neil, so people in our church, both young and old, feel involved. I, I think if we just sing modern songs, many, many old people feel disenfranchised. These are the songs, the hymns, that nurtured their faith for decades and now they're just taken away from them and that can be heartbreaking for them so let's respect the older members and let's respect the newer people who enjoy modern styles of music and contemporary songs so I, I think in my view a wise approach is what we call a more blended type of singing recognize harnessing the good of the past and the good of the present Shelby from Sunnybank, thanks for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line open on 1800 316 316. Gary from Bansdale is back. Hello, Gary. Have we got you, Gary? We might not have Gary. Gary, there might be another problem there. Let's hear from Linda in Brisbane. Hi, Linda. Welcome along. Hello. Hello, Hello Linda. How are you, Neil? Good. How are you going, Neil? Very well. What are your thoughts on our topic today? Um, I just. I'm really passionate about praise and worship. I've, I've been in churches the last few years where we praise and worship for a long time, not just a set couple of songs, and because I've been in churches like that too. Um, and the churches I've been in most recently, I've, we go on for an hour basically. And, and the power and the anointing in praise and worship, um, specifically with specific praise and worship leaders, I've found, um, and the healing that I've had in praise and worship in services, is unbelievable. And, and I think that um, the enemy will try to keep people out of, away from praise and worship for one reason or another, not liking Christian music, whatever, because he knows the power in that music. Um, and I think, yes, what, what the, what the um, your speaker was talking about, the Old Testament, I mean, David was, was very much about praise and worship, wasn't he? he his wife looked down at him because he was dancing in the streets, praising the Lord. You know, and that's what we tend to do in our church, you know, is, is really praise, really give it to God. And you can just feel the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the touch from Jesus. And, yeah, I just I love praise and worship. Bring it on. That's what I say. Linda, wonderful <laughs> comments. Uh, Michael Rater, that would be uh, something I think you can, you can, uh, you'll like to, uh, to comment on what Linda's saying. Yeah. I mean, that's just powerful stuff. Yes, it is. That's, uh, that's what makes music and singing so wonderful. And not just, I mean, also, in a sense, so dangerous, too. It is so powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it gives a great sense of community of God's people. It lifts the emotions. It helps us to remember. It has, in so many ways, it's a, it's a powerful force for good. It, it, uh, if you're discouraged, discomfort, depressed, music and singing can, can turn this, your soul around and bring joy into your heart. It has enormous power. Uh, and beca- but because it is so powerful, we need to be wise who we entrust this power to. Because it, it can be abused. We've seen, well... The worst examples, of course, we've seen in the likes of Nazi Germany, the, the, the great rallies there with this singing harnessed by an evil man to move people's emotions towards evil. So it can be used, of course, because it's so powerful for good or for ill. 
Also, I mean, we know too, Neil, we, we've all been part of churches which have been torn apart over music styles, split over music. People leave church over music styles. It's, it's a very powerful, it's a gift God's given us for our good and his glory. Uh, but it is powerful, and therefore we need wisdom in how he exercises power by his grace and who we give it to. Uh, I do want to say, though, while we might sense God's presence more when we sing, that's not the reality. God, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. He is always with me. Look, if the singing in my church is not great and not particularly encouraging and edifying, Jesus is still with me, present with me. Uh, he's not more with me when, when I sing or less when, I, you know, when we don't sing. He, he's with me wherever I go. That's his promise. To, I, I'm with you always. I, I abide in Christ. And my position in Christ never changes. And the, the, the music doesn't change that. I might have a heightened sense of his presence. I, look, I say it's like, it's like marriage. I'm married to Sarah. And I'm never more or less married to Sarah. When we go out for dinner, for a candlelight dinner, I feel warmer towards her. I might feel more romantic, more attached to her. So in that sense, my, my love for her is heightened by the event. But I'm no more or less married to her. And it's the same with singing. I'm in his presence all the time. Singing might, might heighten that awareness, but it doesn't change the reality of my presence in Christ. Linda from Brisbane, thanks for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking through a fabulous conversation today. What is the value of singing in church? Sounds like a simple conversation, but what we're coming out with, as you'll uh, recognize, is quite profound. And you can be a part of this conversation today at 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute on a whole lot of different levels. What is your experience of singing in church? What does it mean to you? Is it an optional extra? What's the spiritual dimension that comes from singing alongside other believers in church? And even a question that was raised in some sense by Linda, which we didn't necessarily address yet. I mean, the length of time that you devote to singing together. Uh, Linda, who says she's part of a church that'll sing for an hour. And there's others, of course, uh, one or two songs, and you're into another element of church. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're just a couple of minutes out from Vision National News. Michael Rayter, our guest, we're talking about the value of singing in church. Michael, in the lead-up to the news, yeah. uh, just on what Linda was saying, uh, she's part of a congregation that'll sing for a whole hour, mm. and uh, she recognises the power in that. Yeah. We sometimes cut our singing too short. Well, look, I, I think there are two basic errors when it comes to understanding singing in the church, Neil. The first error is that singing is everything. That's that's the key thing we do. That somehow by when we sing, or as people would say, I think worship, we we welcome God into our presence in a special way, and we enter into a deeper uh, relationship with Him through singing. So singing is the is the key thing. Is everything. The second wrong view is that singing is 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 almost nothing. It's peripheral. It's um, I've sometimes said it's an alien came to some churches and wondered why we sing, he'd conclude we, we sing at the beginning to give latecomers a chance to arrive. We sing before the sermon so we can stretch our legs before the, the main event. And we sing at the end just to tell us it's all over. So it's just that it's functional. Uh, so one, one view, it's everything. The other, it's peripheral. Well, the answer, of course, is neither. It, it, it's not everything. It's, it's an important part of what we do. 
it's an important part. I think um, sometimes the choice you make about how long you sing may may be telling the people how important you think it is. And the risk the risk might be, if you sing for an hour, you're saying to people, this is the main event. Uh, if you sing two songs, you're sending another message. Mm, yep. So you've got to, I think, be wise about the message you want to send. But in the end, I think, Neil, I'm more concerned with what we sing than how long we sing. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's the quality of the songs we sing. We sing songs Michael, we'll singing. have to cut in. We're going to news. Yep. Back with more. Michael Rater from the Centre for Biblical Preaching. We're talking about the value of singing in church. More following the news. And there's a book that Michael has coming out in the near future. Uh, co-writing a book all about singing in church, congregational singing. Uh, Michael, uh, you mentioned to me a little earlier there's only a working title for your book at the moment. It might come out with something uh, completely different on its cover. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on, on how your book is coming together? Oh, well, it's in the hands of the publisher and we're looking at a publishing date about February next year. So it's all finished and uh, just waiting for it to be final proof, the final proofreading and then the printing. So we're, we're hoping in about... Uh, four or five months, we'll see. We'll see the book, and the sorts of things we're talking about today. Obviously, you'll be reflecting on a lot of those as content for your book. So, what, what, we, what we've done in the book is we've really looked at um, the first half is a number of the important songs of the Bible, like the Song of Moses and the Song of Hannah, the Psalms, uh, the Songs of Revelation, Some, and what, what, what we can learn from contemporary Christian singing from the songs of the Bible. Uh, what to what principles can we draw for today? And secondly, we look at uh, important issues like why do we sing as Christians? What's the power of the song? The place of emotions in singing? And then just looking at some kind of contemporary issues to do with singing. So it's a marrying of both uh, biblical reflections and uh, contemporary understanding of singing in the church today. You know, I had a call, and uh, one caller didn't want to go to air, but uh, a special hello, Jeff, the truck driver, who reflected and uh, passed on through John, who's uh, on answering our telephones this morning. Uh, but Jeff says singing helps when he is feeling depressed. Yes. And he believes singing may even fight off evil spirits. Uh, does singing have that uh, Potential uh, that capacity, Michael. Yeah, well, yes, that's a good that's a good point he raises. It clearly does. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that possibly one third of the Book of Psalms are laments, and laments are there not just, of course, to give you a chance to express your heartbreak to the Father who understands, but then as you lament, to remind yourself of His, his, his loving care and compassion and power, to help you then to process your sorrow, and reach a point of of faith and joy so that, that they, have, they have that impact. Um, but yes, I, I read a lovely story some time ago that John Piper tells of a woman who'd been demon-possessed, and they were gathering around her, and they'd, they'd been praying for her for, for some time and reading scripture. And then someone began to sing, and the group began to sing, and she became far more agitated. But then... Uh, through it all, she, the demon was cast out, and she reached a, a, a point of peace. Uh, and um, Piper makes the point that uh, Satan hates the songs of God's people and, and, and flees when, when they begin to sing. So not that this is a panacea for satanic attack, but I think he's, he's onto something there. There is a, a power in singing, and Satan 
uh, yes, despises the songs of the people of God as they, as they give praise to Jesus. Mike, songs are absorbed into our imagination in ways that so many other things rarely do. Uh, is there a teaching dimension of singing? What happens when we do sing uh, that is so powerfully important? Yes. Well, I mean, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, giving giving thanks to God. Um, uh, if, you, if you know the story of the great revival of, in Britain and North America in the 18th century, men like, of course, Charles Wesley and others, Wrote, wrote, wrote songs not just to give the people's voices to praise God, but the people who were converted, were many were illiterate, and certainly illiterate biblically, and so their, their, their hymns were mini-sermons. They, they taught the people the gospel. Uh, you know, Over a thousand tongues, is as a, and can it be? These are great gospel stories. They taught the people the gospel, which they could take away with them and stay with them as they sang the songs. So they had a a clear didactic purpose. In fact, it's very common back then for a pastor, if he was preaching a sermon on a Bible passage on Sunday, during the week to write a song to go with the sermon. So our famous Amazing Grace was a song written by John Newton. He's preaching on, I think, two chronicles where David's amazed at God's grace that he appoints him as a shepherd over his people. And Newton says, isn't that the gospel? And we who are nothing are made the sons and daughters of God. It's amazing grace. So he wrote Amazing Grace to sing with his sermon on Sunday to teach the people. Uh, not, of course, the, the, so they can praise God. But the pastors back then understood the enormous impact and importance of songs in teaching the people. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, talking about singing in church. Let's take a call from Helen in Shepparton. Helen, thanks for waiting patiently. What are your thoughts? Oh, hello. Well, my 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 thoughts are that I've I've been in many churches. I'm not young, and I've I've experienced a whole range of singing styles. But I wonder if if we go to church to entertain or to be entertained to feel good, because people come to church with a whole range of needs. But my 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 heart says and my soul says that we should be, we should be singing. Not to please ourselves, but to please the Lord, to commune with God. Helen, we might overcome and a lot of criticisms if we took that attitude. Uh, let's get a thought or two from uh, from okay. Michael. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Helen. But I'd, I'd add to that: we we sing to please God, and in a sense, to please each other. I mean, and I mean by that, to build up one another. We we we. we so I think our singing in church has a dual purpose: we sing to glorify God. We sing to edify one another. We do, we do both. It's not just me and the Lord. It's me and the, and the Lord and me and the people around me. And we, 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 I think we need to keep our, our mind in, in both places, and especially the song leaders. I think they need to realize that's what they're doing. I, I was in a meeting recently with a song leader. Uh, through the whole time, had her own kind of personal time of devotion to God. Her hands lifted up, her eyes closed. We were kind of irrelevant. We could have left the room and it wouldn't have changed things. But no, we're not irrelevant. Uh, your role as song leader is to minister to us, to get us to, get us to sing and help us to sing. So you've got to look at us. But I want to say, Helen, there's two dimensions, both, yes, both to please God and to build up each other. And um, 
and, and the songs of the Bible have just cover the whole spectrum of the Christian life. I think most of our songs today are far too limited in what they teach us. As I said, there are, there are a few songs of lament. There aren't many songs about Christian mission. Very few songs about God's sovereignty. Um, we just need to have a much wider range of songs that teach the whole counsel of God. Mm. Helen, th- uh, thank you so much for your call. Helen from Shepparton. Uh, let's take a call from Betty in, is it Dutch in WA? Hello, Betty. Betty, are you with us? Betty, you might like to call us back. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Claire in Harvey in WA. Hello, Claire. Hello. How are you going? Very well, Claire. What are your thoughts on singing in church? Um, I just find um, that praise is, I just think it's, just so sacred in our church. Um, I was raised, born again and raised in a, a tiny little church in a country town and um, our worship team um, consisted of just a husband and wife couple with an acoustic guitar um, <clears throat> and we experienced some absolute amazing healings and um, wonderful prophecies and, and such powerful worship. Um, now, her voice wasn't 100%, but they were placed there by God, and everybody knew that, and um, the, the time of worship that we had was absolutely incredible. Um, and then they left and moved into a different country, um, and the worship style changed. And just by bringing in like a microphone and an amplifier, um, it divided the church because they were, you know, used to having something so different, um, and uh, it got it got really bad that the church sort of went two different ways. Um, people get really upset and offended about the different, um, you know, worship styles often, and um, there's a lot of, especially in contemporary churches, there's a lot of uh, young teenagers that they, um, they I think. It's hard for them to remain focused on upward worship, I think, and a lot of them are acting like rock stars and um, getting into how cool it is. Um, but I think the the actual heart of it can be lost. Mm. Mm. Uh, Claire, let's hear from Michael. Mm. Well, yes, that's right, Claire. I mean, you, as you rightly say, it's it's uh, people feel so strongly about singing because this is your testimony. It's it's. It's ministered to people so deeply in their past that when it's taken away, it, 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 it's very hard for them. Another point you make, I, I agree with you. Look, I, 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 I do. I, I love, we have an organ in my church. I love the organ. I love the guitars. I love the electric piano. But do you know my favorite instrument? It's the human voice. And I think there's nothing quite like being in the gathering of God's people and hearing 50, 100, 200 people, just, just their voices singing. It's just, it's terrific. It's, it's spine-tingling stuff. And uh, unfortunately, I think, with the microphones and the loud music, the loud uh, accompaniment, we lose that, and, and, and they're drowned out. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying let's remove microphones at all. But um, look, I, I, I liken song leaders to, to John the Baptist. <laughs> John's role with Jesus was to decrease that the Lord might increase. I think that's the role of the song leader. Their job is to decrease, that the singing of the congregation increases. So when the time of singing is finished, what we don't hear is their loud voices with microphones. What we hear, and this is their role, we hear the church singing. Mm -hmm. Loud, with with joy. 
and the role of the song leader is to facilitate that, to get us to sing. And when, once that's happening, they withdraw into the background, and I think are barely heard. Claire from Harvey in WA, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. It raises an important question about the person who is leading and reflecting on what Claire was saying. You know, one wonderful song leader leaves and then it's a difficult adjustment for people to adjust to another. This whole idea of a sustainable leadership where you've got someone who's an understudy uh, someone who's learning all of those, not only those skills, but also learning that humility, learning how mm. to glorify mm. God, uh, you know, that he might increase, uh, you know, I'll decrease, he might increase. Uh, there's a certain sense, isn't there, that uh, that sometimes you've got to expect that when you've got a great worship leader or team, they've got to have some understudies who are learning that so that when there is time of transition, it's not so hard to deal with. Yes, that's right. Well, again, it's, it's like a slight preaching. You know, once anyone's in a position of, of uh, public ministry, there's a great risk for anybody, the risk of pride and self-promotion. It's true of the preacher. It's true of the, the prayer and of the song leader. And that's why, again, we want mature people in those positions. But then their, their role is, is, then, is to train up. So the, the preacher's job is to train up the next generation of young preachers and to teach them both what they're doing and why they're doing it, and the same with the song leaders. Uh, I just think uh, uh, pastors need to take more control in this area uh, and be more thoughtful in training and equipping up the people who will succeed in the song leading area. Let's hear from Wendy in Brisbane. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yes, well, I grew up in a very traditional church where it was hymns and hymns only and only the electric organ and only the men did the speaking and um, the hymns were already, you know, on the wall and we sang Amen, Amen after every service and that was very good. But, um, of course, now I've become into that Pentecostal church and my mother kept attending that church and the funniest thing is um, I, I feel that um, we think, uh, like my mum got dementia. She got, after my father passed away, and I continued to take my mother, but I took her mostly to a traditional church simply because she knew all the hymns. And, uh, and even the fact that she couldn't remember my name and she couldn't remember, you know, many things, she used to sing the hymns in the church. Mm. And that was the amazing thing. And I just often think of, um, you know, that it's implanted on our heart. The Word of God is in song. It's, it's written upon our hearts, the Bible says, and imprinted upon our minds as a spirit within us, even if our mind goes. And as I've worked with disability children that can't speak, can't hear, can't say a word, can't even eat. So what about them as in the, the area of God for worship or deaf people? Well, you know, it is so therapeutic, spirit. Wendy. Let's hear from Michael because that wonderful imprint that comes on the mm. spirit of a person uh, that goes beyond uh, this whole uh, deterioration that comes mm. with dementia. I mean, that is a powerful testimony, it Wendy. Uh, yeah. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, it does raise that important issue of what makes singing so important and powerful in part is our ability to remember. I, like uh, Wendy, I, I used to uh, conduct a service in a retirement village for people who had dementia. 
I begin to preach, and within a minute or two, you'd see their, their, their heads dropping, their eyes closing, they're drifting out. And then my wife would play the, play the opening chords of a familiar song, Amazing Grace, or When I Survey, and you'd, you'd see them. Their eyes, their, 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 their heads lift up, their eyes open, their, their mouths move with the words. They just, they're part of them, and they, and they come back to them. It's incredibly powerful. My, uh, my brother-in-law was, was uh, uh, kidnapped in Afghanistan some years ago. He spent six months as a hostage in Afghanistan, a Christian man. Uh, part of the time in isolation. And in part, he sustained his soul by singing songs and choruses, hymns he'd learned from childhood. He could recall 600. Now, that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But I think we'd be surprised how many songs or hymns we could recall in that kind of situation. So the ability to remember and then to feed on these great truths and have these truths sustain our soul and nourish our soul Again, that, that's why singing is so important and so powerful. It just it helps us to remember the great truths of the gospel. Thank you so much to Wendy from Brisbane for your input today here on 2020. Let's take one more call, I think, from Trish in Victor Harbour in South Australia. Hello, Trish. Welcome along. Thank you. Trish, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that uh, uh, songs of praise and worship are very helpful in spiritual warfare as in 2 Corinthians 20, um, where they began to sing and praise and the Lord sent ambush against the men and Mm. uh, they were defeated and they destroyed each other. And I feel in many situations, if we sang praise and thanks, that God would use that to to resolve situations. Fabulous thoughts. Michael Rader, your thoughts on what uh, Tricia's sharing? That passage from 2 Chronicles, it's a great story where they go out into battle, and at the front of the, of the army are the song leaders, leading the people. And of course, we have that tradition of having military bands to lead armies into, into battle. Um, and it's striking the scriptures, and in church history, that in, in, time you face, in times of warfare or difficulty, you sing, there's Paul and Silas in prison, facing possibly death in agony, and they're singing hymns. And in so doing, they just strengthen their souls. And history's full of stories of people when facing a crisis, uh, a spiritual battle or a physical one, they find great strength and solace in songs. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Well, a refreshing way to talk about singing in church, recognizing thousands of years of history of songs in church. Uh, thousands of years that date even back before Christ, back into the Old Testament, and being able to reflect on that, the rich heritage of singing in church. Michael Rader, you're the director of the Centre for Biblical Preaching. You're training, mentoring preachers. Is this part of what you do when you're mentoring preachers and pastors, Uh, the way you talk about the whole service, the worship, the music? How do you think of that? Michael, are you with us? I'm with you. Okay, did you miss that last bit? I did. Okay, I was just talking about the Centre for Biblical okay. Preaching and uh, mentoring preachers. Mm. Uh, do you teach them a way, uh, you know, of of negotiating the way through the whole uh, music maze as well? well? Not so much, but I, the clear connection. I, I, I have only two rules with preaching, Neil. My two rules are be faithful to the Bible. That's the first rule. And my second one is don't be boring. <laughs> be interesting. Uh, so preach faithfully and preach well. And I think the same two rules 
apply, apply to singing in church. Let's sing songs that honor God, are faithful to the word and the gospel, and we sing them well. And when we meet in church, the two go together. I go to a church where the pastor very carefully prepares the service and selects the songs to match the sermon. So the theme of the passage, the sermon, is the theme of the songs. And when the two are together, it's, it's like harmony. <laughs> when the two sing duet, the songs we sing and the sermon we preach, it's terrific. It's terrific. So I think, uh, yeah, that, as I said before, the song leaders are the congregations of the preachers. So we should ensure we preach the same message whenever we preach and sing. Well, Michael Rader, I'll point people to the website for the Centre for Biblical Preaching. There might be listeners who'd like to connect with you in some way. Love I know there'll be, uh, there'll be people who'd like to probably uh, monitor along when this book of yours, this one that you've co-authored that doesn't have a title yet, uh, when that comes out, people might like to, uh, to get a hold of it. Uh, CBP, which stands for the Centre for Biblical Preaching, it's cbp.org.au. Michael, uh, great conversation again today, and thank I'm you so much for being with us. Pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.